I'm E. And I'm M. And welcome to Blood and Turf, a podcast about transphobic ideologies, such as trans exclusionary radical feminism, and its intersections with fascism, cults, pseudoscience, and other reactionary political phenomena. On Thursday, the 21st of October, 2021, the political organization called the LGB Alliance held a conference of 400 plus people from across the transphobic political movement. Thanks to a friend of the show who attended and recorded the event, we've obtained a recording of the entire thing, and the stuff in the recording points at some very concerning directions. This is the second episode of ours touching on this topic. Our previous episode touched on areas of policy and strategy laid out in the conference. Basically, that the LGBA is seeking to attack Stonewall and all other LGBTQ organizations in an attempt to define all public policy on the matter of transgender rights. They're engaging on a multi-front campaign across all the major institutions of civil society to roll back the trans rights movement, as well as modern intersectional politics in general. We advise listeners to go back and listen to it again if they need to catch up on that stuff. This episode, however, will be an examination of the conference as an ideological event. LGBA were basically putting on a spectacle in order to further radicalize and enthrall their membership, as well as flesh out the ideological basis for their prejudices. The policies we talked about in the last episode all come hand in hand with a bizarre belief system that figures trans people as being an invading menace, a conspiring group of elites, a weakling horde of children to own and manage, and a pitiful accumulation of sundered bodies all at once. We also cover this uh, more generally in previous episodes, um, such as our little Timmy episode and our Queer Masculinities two-parter, but here we're going to talk about it specifically as it relates to the conference uh, and how it's been updated and developed. So we'll attempt to untangle this ideological shitnado for the benefit of you, the deserving listener. As in the last episode, we'll be using audio, audio clips from the conference where possible and reading out transcripts if the audio quality does not allow for a good listener experience. Um, we recently found out that LGB Alliance will be releasing uh, their own versions of the videos uh, and we'll be interested to see if they edit anything out. But if the audio is superior, we might just nick theirs, depending on if we can get away with it. Content warnings for this episode include regular sound clips of highly transphobic political speech. Some of this will feature ableism, uh, discussions of surgery, uh, things that you know relate to child sexual assault or the sexualization of children, and various other things that would be traumatizing. There's also the normal accumulation of transphobic tropes. There is also a brief discussion of conditions at the concentration camp at Auschwitz towards the end of this episode, so obviously listener discretion is advised if that is a particularly sensitive subject to you. As ever, our music is by Molly Noise. We will also be using a clip of music by two musicians called John Kander and Fred Ebb. The music is copyrighted, but as we're using it as a transformative work, it falls under fair use. Uh, before we get started on the meat and potatoes of this episode, there's a couple of updates. Uh, various bits of, of stuff that we talked about in you know, the first episode on this subject have already kind of like hit the mainstream news. Uh, there's already been talk of the Athena Swan Charter uh, beginning to be edged out of, of favour in academic institutions. Uh, to remind those of you who don't recall from that episode, the Athena Swan Charter is essentially a diversity and inclusion programme, um, and it's already under attack because it, I believe it was mentioned in the Times. Uh, other stuff that's transpired, uh, the Terence Higgins Trust has kind of run into um, a bit of an issue where it's not confirmed whether or not their budget is being like cut by the government, but there's indications that they are beginning to fall out of favour with the Treasury, 
per a, a news article from Pink News, which indicated that the funds they would normally expect to be ring fenced for them have not been fully set aside yet, or something to that effect. Uh, given the given the, the 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 gap in time between the LGB Alliance conference and the budget speech by by Chancellor Sunak, I don't think that we can like definitively say yeah, they definitely lent on the Tories to cut this stuff, but it does indicate a general direction of drift. Um, one last area of this was uh, an intervention by Preeti Patel, the Home Secretary, um, with relation to uh, transgender people being arrested and put in prison. Um, and she had some, some words to say about that. Basically, she said that uh, any detained or incarcerated trans woman would not have, I think it, she specified trans women, um, would not have their gender respected, which is obviously against the Equalities Act 2010. Preeti Patel knows that because she's a fascist and doesn't give a shit about the law. Preeti Patel does have a track record of violating legislation when it suits her. Uh, see also charter flights, which have been a long-standing area where the Tories have violated various bits of legislation. Or, as just came out as after we started recording, uh, recommending that protesters um, be arrested and investigated by the police for the crime of protest protesting the Israeli ambassador. Oh, I thought that was a Labour MP. Has Pratel, has Pratel jumped in on that as well? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's, but, good to, it's good to be breaking news, isn't it? Patel backs uh, police investigation of LSE protest against Israeli ambassador. For listeners who aren't aware of the context behind this, this is a really normal student protest. It's really normal in universities for students to protest Israeli ambassadors, obviously, because they're ambassadors for an apartheid regime. And uh, this is a regular occurrence, except now it's being compared to Kristallnacht and uh, did not pronounce that correctly, sorry. And Patel is saying that they should be rounded up, et cetera, et cetera. But yes, Patel loves to um, suggest huge attacks on um, civil liberties, and she specifically recently did so in regards to criminalise trans people. As any self-respecting kind of uh, uh, hog listening to this podcast will be aware, um, the main danger for trans people in a transphobic political environment is not that, you know, your average white British citizen will suddenly be rounded up and taken away. The danger is always going to come for trans migrants, for um, precarious trans people, for trans sex workers and for criminalized trans people. So this is proceeding exactly as expected, unfortunately. Oh, boy. Anyway, I guess we'd better get cracking with, with looking at all of the absolutely wild stuff that went on in this conference, because oh, we got a lot to cover. Um, I notice that at the top of our notes, we've just got the word pedogeddon. Should we talk about that? Yes, uh, the conference definitely represented a development in terms of specific attacks against trans people. Obviously, tra uh, trans people are already characterized as dangerous children. This is the reskinned Section 28 stuff. But specifically at the conference, M has more familiarity with the, with the audio we received because he had to edit it. Um, we'll be better placed to speak on this. But it seems like now the TERFs have just decided to use sexual assault and uh, child sexual assault uh, and basically nonce jacket and, uh, and rape jacket, just any trans person. 
Yeah, this also came up in the, the working while trans hashtag that was circulated by uh, Trans Safety Network the other day, which was that a lot of stuff that happens in workplaces towards trans people, particularly if it's a workplace that involves contact with children, essentially just uh, amounts to just pedojacting people and just like claiming that they're an abuser because they exist while being LGBT. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, what, what he says is right. Um, the the a general running theme in this conference was like a lot of stuff about like safeguarding, a lot of stuff about protecting the children, a lot of stuff about like children's bodies, which we'll particularly get into later, uh, especially given that that clip of Alison Bailey talking about uh, breast surgery, which is very disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> it's that now that's some real sex creep behavior. Let me tell you. Yeah, I mean there there is a reason why that 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 tweet where somebody was just like posting red flag emojis went viral. It's because it's a red flag. Uh, anyway, we're we're getting slightly off uh, slightly off track here. Um, to explain the phrase pedogeddon, um, basically the UK has like a particularly interesting um, cultural attitude towards pedophilia, uh, and this is like in large part due to things like the tabloid press, the specific Jimmy Savile. Yeah, Jimmy Savile. Which uh, the, like, uh, what was it? Thatcher, the BBC and the Royal Family conspired to cover up for a very long time. And the NHS. Oh, and the NHS, let's not forget that. So all of our big institutions, in fact, the ones which are now anti-trans did enable actual child sexual assault for many years. And the cops. Mm, and the cops, don't forget them. Never forget the cops. Can't believe on, on, on like, at, it, it, this time of the year, you would forget our troops, honestly. Well, let's not forget the troops, but they could because they love they love to enable and do harm. Um, but yeah, Br Britain's attitude towards child sexual assault is essentially that it's used as a boogeyman, whilst also actually being done by the powerful or those beloved by the powerful. So there's this weird kind of like cognitive dissonance around it, and it's pretty much always leveled at whoever the tabloids want to smear rather than actual perpetrators. Right. For example, when the Rotherham Gruning scandal happened, there was a massive upsurge in it in it being used as a bludgeon to to, to hit at like uh, like East Asian Asian and Arab communities because the, the the defendants in that case were all Asian men. Yeah, or, large, and, and, or largely Asian men. I don't recall fully. And actually, the Rotherham case is very important for that specifically because it immediately became used by the right as just a specific racist Islamophobic dog whistle, and allowed the right to um you know have have faux concerns around children women and girls and so yeah the, the british psyche basically only likes to to conjure up the nonce in order to beat someone else with a stick uh basically yeah it's like it's like everything to do with the actual like complexity of of of, of, of the sexualization of children in british culture is completely ignored which is why you get stuff like the daily mail doing like countdowns to when emma watson or some other female celebrity um, like becomes legal and all of this kind of like gross uh, like essentially like media spectacle grooming stuff um, and yet that that exists side by side with them just like whipping up the mob to demand that pedophiles all have them all like have their balls chopped off in prison or whatever yeah I mean in our notes <laughs> Emma's written you know that it can be summed up as a desperation to distract from their own fetishization of children and prelediction for abuse and I think this is really relevant to the LGBT conference because as we noted in the previous episode there were a lot of political and media link-ins which as the news has shown has has borne dividends and it's real interesting that this pedo pedo jacketing or nonce jacketing whatever you want to call it of trans people is happening at the exact same time one of the members of the british royal family 
has basically been told that uh, the investigation about him doing child sexual assault is being dropped for no apparent reason. Funny that. Anyway, uh, the main the main person pushing stuff about like child grooming and child sexual assault at this conference was one of the first speakers. Uh, this is a woman called Tanya Carter, who works for like a, an NGO slash uh, volunteer organization. I'm not entirely sure of their constitutional makeup called the Safe Schools Alliance. They work uh, very closely with LGB Alliance. Yeah, they were they were like guests at LGB Alliance. Like, um, Tanya Carter's section of, of the panel was like out of this world. Um, she essentially like introduces herself as like, oh, I'm just like a harmless mum who really cares about like inclusion and stopping my children getting bullied. But also, have you heard about the transgender agenda? And from there, it just went like completely, completely downhill. Um, because uh, I, I guess like the best way to explain it would be that she was doing like absolute low common denominator populist stuff about um, like personal personal and, and sexual education in schools. There was there, okay, there was there was a bit about uh, like the leaflets that turns up in sex ed programs um, where she's essentially like fear mongering about like sex ed programs leading people into like leading children into like a sex cult. Uh, there was stuff where she essentially uses like uh, rhetoric that was specifically targeted at the composition of the crowd to rile them up. Um, there's an absolutely fascinating clip, which I'm going to roll in a second, where she even like does this, where she gets a whole like call and response thing going from the audience. Um, it's a bit, it's a bit like jarring, so I'll just give people a bit of forewarning beforehand, but it's it's worth hearing. But yeah, here's like a couple of clips of Tanya Carter talking about this stuff, and I, I think it's I think it's like worth worth us delving into the things that she's talking about. Um, so we have campaigned to have some trans inclusion toolkits and LGBT resources withdrawn because one of our major concerns about these resources is they're actually endangering the very children that they're claiming to protect, and the very children they claim that this will benefit, they're the ones that they're endangering the most. They're removing these very vulnerable children from normal safeguarding practice of parents and schools working together. They're suggesting to young people that being same-sex attracted may mean that you're born in the wrong body. I mean, we've just had we've just heard from Sinead about the stuff she read online that made her think this. Schools should be challenging what children read online, not reinforcing it. to have some allegedly LGBT resources removed from school. They've been hideously inappropriate. They've introduced concepts such as chemsex, pony play, BDSM and leather fetish to 11 year olds. And there's even been a link for where they can get their free fisting gloves from should they need them. And for this we get called homophobic. We've identified a lot of safeguarding problems with RSE and PSHE materials. Um, PSHE is personal, social, health and economic education. They misrepresent the law, they undermine the rights of girls, and they're incredibly damaging to the children they claim to help. Some of them are persuading children to collude with them and to keep parents in the dark. Why? 
what sort of person wants to do this. Some of them are seeking to remove children from established safeguarding frameworks. Again, why? What sort of person wants to do that? And bizarrely, many are homophobic and encourage transing away the gay and taking experimental drugs. Again, why? So what we want to know is why and how is this happening and how are we going to stop it? And what are you all here going to do to help us? So, of course, this is a lot of familiar ground that we've trod before, you know, the 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 remnant of Timmy and again the reskin section 28 stuff. But the call and response um tactic is characterizing us as groomers and cult leaders, not just in, in sly rhetoric, but literally, you know, call and response like, what's a trans person? A groomer. What's a trans person? A cult leader. Um, and I think also specifically the keeping parents in the dark stuff and experimental drug stuff is again hearkening back to the, the you know the 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 medical um perversions of, of little timmy and the fact that schools are going to have to or should have to uphold ea 2010 which and and, and gillick competency which has thankfully been reaffirmed in in the wake of the appeal of the legal cases that the turfs brought um so schools should be supporting these trans kids even if their parents are abusive and this is bringing that to the foreground of something that really has to be combated by these people. Yeah, like particularly this thing about like the, the this line about like keeping parents in the dark is particularly fascinating to me because what she is essentially saying is that there shouldn't be any content in PSHE material or RSE material that that advises the children to do anything that is outside of the parent's realm of control that the entirety of like a, a child's like personal social life and, and like development as like a sexually aware teenager should be within the, like the panopticon gaze of parents no uh, autonomy no autonomy for timmy yeah particularly no no sexual autonomy and no autonomy during during like sexual and social development which is which chimes again in again with that thing that that, that that Alison Bailey said later on in the conference in her keynote address about about like you know, top surgery and about uh, you know essentially the, the 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 sullying of all of these beautiful virgin bodies of children, which is just like I mean those weren't her words, but that is what she meant. Um, it also reminds me of that famous thing with Jermaine Greer. Uh, some of our listeners may not be aware, but I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before. Jermaine Greer once infamously released um, like a, 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 a photo, like a, a, a coffee table book of notionally artistic photographs of like nude pubescent boys and advocated in the book for the sexualization of the people in those photographs. Now, I don't particularly like care about anyone who would care to excuse this. Like that is even if purely politically a paedophilic act like that's fucked up and yet for some reason it's all this stuff kind of like exists in the same ideological continuum even though Jermaine Greer was not present. I think also it really um going back to a kind of a, a more materialist reading of this the as we've said before the obsession with managing children really harkens back to the class character of the transphobic political movement which is not the working classes by and large it's it's, it's a ruling class or uh you know managerial class or middle class whatever you want to call it um and the uh the the the, the christopher chitty um quote which uh, we tweeted out recently actually talks about this specifically in terms of sexuality being managed um 
and done so in order to manage status, you know, in the institutions of family, property and the couple form, which is just kind of really obvious here, as well as the fact that all of this rhetoric in this clip is pretty much exactly the same rhetoric that was used by the Tories to counter the, you know, very meek and mild, I'm, I'm not giving Labour any credit, educational reforms uh, during the Blair years, because when they tried to introduce better and more comprehensive personal, you know, PSHE, RE, all of the Conservatives had the same worries. And obviously, you know, they didn't lead to any problems. But if you've got a kind of ye old timey Criso rich rich family and they don't want their kids learning about uh you know essentially in the medieval sense sodomy it's the same stuff it's all the same upper class managerial creepy obsessive shit about children and young people mm. and, and 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 the fact that there were loads of you know tories and again media and political people in attendance just shows i guess the convergence between the transphobic political movement and just the literal conservative institution of of of, of, of britain yeah, just like generalized British reactionary stuff with with relation to like, I guess, I guess like the, the period in which Section 28 stuff was finally being rolled back was probably like just prior to the time when you and I were going through high school. Um, it was still in effect when I was in school. OK, in that case, it probably would have still been in effect for some of my for some of my school career as well. But yeah. I distinctly remember like us getting us getting to the sex ed lesson. And like I was one of the few like kids in class who was like willing to, to mention anything to do with gayness in any kind of like positive way. Um, and specifically challenging the teacher because I was like being an upper tea idiot. Like, are you going to talk about oral and anal sex in this? And, she, and I was like very demurely told. And no, it's always been terrible. No, that's not going to happen. And I was like, hmm, why isn't that going to happen, Mrs. Teacher? And she was like, well, it's just not in the curriculum. <laughs> Um, relatedly, there's also another clip I'm going to play from Tanya Carter where she talks about... Um, specifically wanting to remo remove content from schools that talks about any kind of, about what, well, not any kind, but various different kinds of non-conventional, non-conventional sexual activity. And like, I don't know what to say about this clip other than uh, like, A, it's another case of like populist baiting. B, it's like very like blatant scare tactics. And, and C, like, it, fucking hell tanya like either they're going to read about it in like properly constructed resources or they're just going to fucking read about it on pornhub when they're all sharing links in the fucking locker room i don't know if you remember high school mate i mean again this 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 upcoming clip is exactly the same stuff uh in terms of anti-educational reform from a conservative uh corner there was other, i mean there was other stuff in in the in the in the carter uh talking point um bullshit like there was a whole bit where she goes on about like the concept of safer recruitment and like this was specifically like insider threat bollocks she goes on and says all of this stuff that's basically meant to connect like the concept of like a transgender person being in a school to the concept of there being some kind of like invasive paedophilic presence and it, it's initially like set up for the audience as being about just literature and then it's like the you know the, the, the mask account like very quickly lifted off and it being about just like having any transgender person in there at all it's it's all like basically weasel worded but it's very clear about the content of what she's saying anyway i'm gonna roll the clip now it is true that we have campaigned against some rse materials We've campaigned against them because they weren't keeping children safe. Some of the things we've had withdrawn are 
programs that describe extreme porn acts to children as liberating. They've, they've used awful slogans such as love, have no, love has no age and suggested to, suggested to teenage girls that anal sex was a good way to avoid pregnancy, except they describe this as fun sex in their literature. We're accused of being religious uh, and right-wing fundamentalists. Um, so I'm an atheist, I'm a floating voter, I'm really not very engaged politically at all, I'm just interested in safeguarding. So I've, I've no hidden agenda, I just want to protect children. I really took on board all my safeguarding training over the years and I lived by the mantras I was taught, um, which are Safeguarding is the responsibility of every single adult in society. Everybody has a responsibility to speak up, to protect children and others more vulnerable than themselves. And clip two, which is like more stuff about the insider threat and keeping predators out of schools and that sort of thing, uh, rolling now. far easier to prevent a predator from entering your organisation in the first place than it is to remove them once they are there. This means thorough background checks, obtaining up-to-date update references and exploring people's motivations for working with children. Sadly, not all people who want to work with children have good motivations and that's really difficult to understand where, because most people have good motivations to work with children and you judge people by your own standards but really you do have to, unpleasant as it is, we all need to be aware that some people's motivations are not good. Organisations must operate a culture of vigilance where concerns are taken seriously. If there are cries of racist, homophobe, transphobe and pearl clutcher, we all need to remember that these are recognised silencing techniques and they must be ignored. She basically just says, like, yeah, we're just going to, we, what we need to do is advance a program where, like, the rhetorical hegemony is so strong that we can exclude transgender people from working with children totally on the grounds that it's predator exclusion. Like, she just lays it out. Like, these people are not being subtle. This woman is not, like, a smart strategist. She's just saying, like, right, we're going to get them out and we're going to call them pedos to do it. I like it's just stuff's fucking blatant and I don't know what to say other than that it's it's very it's very crude the other thing that's worth mentioning is that that's also the the same defense that is currently being used in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial um which if for, for listeners who don't know is a trial of a, a white supremacist proud boys member who shot um multiple um african-americans and in the trial used you know saying that racist is silencing it's like the same fucking tactics like the, the fashion the reactionaries use the same tactics all the time and also you know this is where it leads yeah also i mean like rittenhouse is like such a absolute typical example of like a far-right reactionary um crybaby because like he was literally doing a, a like a fake crybaby routine on the stand in order to wheedle sympathy out of the judge much in the same way that like in, in like a more like safe and rhetorical manner you get all of these like gender crits and transphobes whining about being cancelled like that is like a lot of this stuff does just come down to whining 
it's 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 a warning like the reason that we used to keep re referring to the umberto echo of fascism essay is that the, the the point he makes about um fascists and reactionaries um blaming you know uh doing everything to the enemy that they say the enemy is doing to them it's the same thing it's the it's the it's the it's the whining it's the davo it's like a really core component of reactionary tactics and fascist tactics and they right. will always which we saw which we saw with the cade thing as well exactly speaking of which uh m what is the cade thing uh i mean who we all know what the cade thing is <laughs> yeah lily exactly. cade a pornographic actress quoted in now infamous bbc article which has been the subject of a massive online campaign and has um, basically completely pulled the mask off of bbc in general oh they've also just uh finally sealed the deal on, on dropping out the stonewall diversity and inclusion program by the way that that got that got the final sign off today um, so yeah, she she was she was exposed as being just like a, a multiple rapist and sexual assailant by you know fellow fellow pornographic actresses, other people who work in the same industry as her. Um, people sifted through her, her various blogs, found her essentially like gloating about this on one of them, and also found this like a, a completely completely like trans Turner diary shit. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff in in the Cade in the Cade uh, manifesto. Which which taps into various different narratives, such as such as like great replacement stuff and uh, and all this kind of thing. We don't need to go into depth about the Cade stuff. People far far more intelligent than us have have gone over it. We've gone over it, but it's it's notable specifically because the article in which she was extensively quoted by the BBC was an article essentially doing rape jacketing of trans people, mm. specifically trans women. It was very misogynistic specifically. The other thing that I think is worth noting, which might seem a bit more niche about the pedo Geddon stuff, is that I think it's another example of the red-brown bleed um, happening here, which, again, we have kind of spoken about in previous episodes, I think our leftist institutional episodes. But um, crypto anti-trans like um, leftist or pseudo-leftist groups in the UK absolutely love calling people nonces it's sort of like they treat it sort of like gammon or bald it's sort of like a, you know an insult that you just throw at your political opponents yeah it's like calling and, someone, it's like calling someone a melt which was like yeah. the, the insult de jour back when corbyn was a thing exactly so you've got you've got you've got your edgy leftists calling people melts and gammons and then the people calling people nonces pretty much entirely because you know most people don't like making fun of child sexual assault did come from these really reactionary sections of of, of the so-called left where there was a massive red brown bleed and lots of these groups um were very crypto anti-trans you know you kind of think of your sort of the sort of leftist version of the girl baz sphere like your morning star your sort of you you read london and all that and what's interesting is that um a since the conference we've had multiple notable uh attendees really doubling down on exactly the same stuff you know characterizing trans people as uh petty bourgeois blue head sjw woke university students which is exactly the same kind of memes that these people used to make and also really showing where the weak quizlings of the so-called left uh, have decided to follow what they think is the mainstream political current and really cash in on the anti-trans grift, such as everyone's favorite so-called leftist uh, organization, Navarra Media. Um, oh, we love um, Navarra Media here at Blood Turf Tablets. So Navarra Media... Um, I hated Navarra Media before it was cool. <laughs> M, M, M is right. M is right. He's ideologically pure in every single way. Pure as a driven snow. Practically. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's way. Maybelline. 
you know. Um, but Navarra, recently... Miss United States, <laughs> Navarra have made it clear, especially over the last year, not even mentioning the boycott Navarra um, scandal, which happened many years ago, where. Um, Several people, I think including multiple trans people, spoke out about sexual assault and sexual assault apologism within Navarra. Um, in the last year, they've platformed um, eco-fascists. They've gone on, on her, Unheard. And Unheard, as, as listeners may know, also platforms a great deal of transphobes and just done a lot of really reactionary shit that makes it clear that they're idiots who think that that's what the people want. Most specifically... Um, Michael Walker. Yeah. Uh, recently. He's with Michael Chaser, totally different man. Totally different. Uh, Michael Walker recently blamed trans people for being too uppity against TERFs. And when everyone, you know, immediately went to the so-called leftist, obviously the left are going to comment on the shite that he says, you know, like, oh, you're wrong. He doubled down in a very specific way. He doubled down by repeating turf to waking turking points and dog whistles and, you know, doing the whole kind of reasonable concern, absolute nonsense. Now, this guy has a history of being an edgy little fucker. Navarro are useless, we already know that. What's really specifically important and useful to talk about in terms of the red-brown convergence is that this has happened after Navarra have gone on the same platform, shared platform, with actual turf. So they have clearly crushed some kind of editorial institutional threshold. And Walker, as a member of the LGBT community, uh, should have more dignity, but clearly he doesn't. And he is a Quisling. And I'll fight him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Moving, moving on. <laughs> yeah, one last thing I wanted to note about the red-brown convergence is that like, it, in the UK, this basically ha- happens with like with like trad marxist leninist groups and and like and like slightly real working class cosplay guys yeah like the like essentially like the nationalist laborite type type people um if you're in the us i suspect you're more likely to see this from maoist sections of of the left um there's there's a strong kind of like undercurrent i've noticed in american maoism where there's like a, a fetishization of like of like the vengeful essential of like the vengeful and essentialist aspects of violence and that tends to like crossover with them talking about like degeneracy um specifically the word degeneracy is a big buzzword in, in some of the more uh, i would say revisionist and reactionary sections <laughs> of, of the maoist political movement um which is disappointing for for a, a movement with such a varied intellectual tradition um yeah i think in the in the uk because we ostensibly have this sort of working class culture of you know it, trade unions are much bigger of a thing even if they're not as useful anymore and there's a lot more kind of workerist stuff to draw on in the uk so so really red browns tend to characterize um trans people as bourgeois and there'll be a little bit of degeneracy but they they like to be able to be like well you know actually i i'm not a homophobe and i've got loads of gay working class friends never mind that i'm not working class and uh, i'm doing this voice because i'm working class whereas in the u.s like this is a thing that happens we're not just making this up we haven't no i'm talking about a specific guy and the guy i'm talking about is also a known sex pest so it's weird that he likes nonce jacket too um or maybe i'm talking about multiple guys it could be multiple in the uk but yeah in, in the u.s you're as I'm says, going to have more of an almost libidinal sort of reactionaryism, whereas I think over here it is actually a lot, a lot more tied up in class. When I talk about working class cosplay, I think it's really specifically notable um, that the anti-trans red brown sentiment does often come from people who are desperate to prove that they are that they are the legitimate working class, despite having much more materially in common with the speakers at the conference this episode is about. 
yeah i mean like i think fund- fundamentally like all of this stuff kind of like overlaps in terms of like the scare tactics and the, the crude areas of biopolitics um like the, just like the very very basic stuff about like uh, you know about like invading queerness disrupting disrupting the, the the body politic in some section so this clip of bailey has now circulated uh, of her of her like talking about um top surgery and there were various other other bits in the audience where, where different speakers spoke about their emotional reaction to particularly seeing pictures of, of top surgery and the aftermath of top surgery and like what an outpatient looks like and, and this sort of thing um, and I found this really interesting um, for a number of reasons because it's the way that they were talking about it um, is effectively like they they seem to be using this this like transphobic form of body horror as a radicalization tool. Um, I'm just going to play a couple of short clips for you just to you know, give you some examples of this. Um, I've said, I started sending the links to Instagram to the FTM sites that celebrate um, double mastectomies. And I don't say anything, I just say, look, look at the age of these girls who have a double mastectomy, and look at the things, and look at the fact that there's a site that celebrates the fact that young girls have cut their breasts off. And I, I find that's one of the things where you just leave it with them. And I don't think anybody really thinks that's healthy. So, I mean, people have mainly been talking about the Bailey clip because it's like, it's like creepy and weird and like there's an element of implied sexualization of, of, of particularly of children in it. But I think that's not the only thing that's worth noting about it. Uh, I think the other thing that's worth noting about it is like the manner, it's like it's that and the, the other, the other kind of like clip I've just played indicate there's a particular way in which these people view um, like the, 
transgender bodies as having been something where as having been a body where surgery has happened like they find this they find this like metaphysically horrifying like it's 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 horrifying in a way to them in a in like this kind of like not like cosmic but sort of like universe defining sense it's it's like it's like an essential horror basically um very lovecraftian um because like the, the Bailey clip was kind of like about uh, like sullied purity. Um, it's similar. It's similar to stuff that we've talked about before to do with sacred children. There's elements uh, like it's it's kind of like a mirror reflection of when of when like normal misogynists talk about like uh, the the sanctity of virginhood and all of this kind of thing and and about like popping the cherry and this kind of and this kind of crap. Um, which has which has an element of like uh, like sacralizing the body as a vessel, but this is slightly different because it's they're talking about like the stuff that gets like done to the body from outside. They're talking about the body as like a recipient of, of physical horror, and it reminds me of a couple of things. And like one of them is stuff that like people who are familiar with like the online culture on like old school four chan will be familiar with. Um, like uh, basically like threads of like visual gore on on like online shock forums and that kind of thing it reminds me of that because in politically extreme online online spaces such as 4chan and 8chan you often get stuff like this where people will just like share combat footage uh, snuff videos pictures of, of like surge of like corpses or or people who've had surgery done to them or dead animals and this kind of thing and it's a sort of like psychologically inflected acts of 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 like group camaraderie where where like the the act of like consuming the, these like violent but detached spectacles is 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 this group is like is it's kind of like group masturbation it's like a bonding tool and this this sort of reminded me of it because they're not there is an element of voyeurism to how they're talking about this stuff but there's also an element of like pitying horror Whereas with the HN guys, like the voyeurism is completely upfront, and it's it's more about like a macho one-upmanship of like, yes, I am the most like pilled online man here. I can watch the most horrible things. They're traumatizing themselves, but they're creating the trauma and aware that they're creating the trauma. Whereas I think with the HN stuff, the images are violent and horrifying. With this stuff, they're choosing to show each other, um, you know, for example, pictures of medical procedures that many trans people have, which when you have just had surgery, will certainly not look the same as 10 years on. And they are choosing to show themselves the pictures mid or just post-surgery and choosing this gore, which isn't doesn't actually exist the violence and the horror does not exist they're creating it yeah um they, i i noticed that one thing that's particularly notable here is that um they're largely um in the, the clip in the clips that i've uh, like just played they're largely talking about like uh, top surgery so they're talking about uh, elements of the body which they particularly find because uh, most of the people who were talking about this at the conference were women um they they're talking about bits of the human body that they particularly like relate to on like a personal level uh, which is why bailey was making this piece of rhetoric like that for her that was political rhetoric that was intended to like tug at the heartstrings of an audience where there's a lot of like where there's a lot of old school lesbians who particularly remember like the really sexually repressive years of like the, the 70s 80s and 90s and earlier right so there there there's an element of like oh what if this could happen to me and there's an element of like scare tactics but there's also 
this aspect of like turning the person in the photograph into like a complete subject yeah it's very it's extra <laughs> It's very male gazy, actually. Like, it really reminds me of the kind of old school justified anger against endless headless pictures of models who, who are women and that kind of thing. But they are doing this to us for their own voyeuristic horror, horrific pleasure. Yeah, it's like it's like with the 8chan gore, gore fest stuff. It's like uh, the way that they were using it to create their little community was that like by being a 4chan ed edgelord, you would you would like gain gain threat by being able to view all of this incredibly horrendous material that was that was like completely alien to normies it's it's a it's a, it's, it's sort of like a, a very weird form of preserved knowledge or reserved knowledge which is something that gets referred to in discussions of cults like normally in in, in reference to the notion of like a universal truth like a universal truth is core to the belief system of religious cults particularly but here it's not so much a universal truth it's that's being that's being the that's the, it's an initiatory right. Yeah, it's like an initiatory initiatory right, exactly. Um, so in four chan, like you become one of this group when you're willing to look at like you know really horrendous stuff like brutal combat footage or child pornography. If it was some, if it was one of the really nasty bits of four chan, whereas in in kind of like the turf sphere, it's more like um, this is part of them preaching the gospel. They they're using this to convert people, not as like an initiation ceremony. Um, because like but it kind of boils down to the same thing because they consider themselves to be the arbiters of some kind of like particularly important information or, or cultural experience which in, in the you know, the context of the lgba is a lot more like a sacred political word whereas you know in the hn stuff it's it's a lot more just kind of like crude and and, and, and macho but like the thing the thing about it being like a sacred word is that it's delivered by like contact with bodies that are held as being heavenly. Like they're, 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 there's a form of like spectacular worship going on here is what I'm saying. They're, they're holding up the like idealized notion of a female body and then like contrasting that in the eyes of the viewer with and, um, a, 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 like a female body that's had bits removed. And the gospel that they are preaching is literally the, you know, the, uh, the conversion that they hope to make and for new members of their flock is literally using these images to make people view trans bodies as disgusting and horrific. Like that's what they are preaching and they are doing it, you know, by showing unflattering pictures of a totally normal medical procedure to evoke that disgust and to link disgust with, you know, trans lives and trans bodies. Um, and I, I, I think People talk a lot about the nasty, hateful rhetoric that the, the transphobes use to talk about uh, medical procedures, um, trans trans feminizing medical procedures. You know that trans women and other people have, uh, and and the disgusting terms they use, which I'm I'm not going to repeat. But I think, regarding your point, M, that is why they usually talk about those procedures. Whereas with top surgery and occasionally things like phalloplasty, which does require skin grafts and they use pictures of, you know, the raw graft, which is raw skin uh, and therefore can be shocking to some people if they're not prepared. They use pictures of people like me, transmasculine people, uh, and they use words most often to talk about trans feminine people. And it's because they are wrongly identifying with me rather than another woman. Obviously that's the whole point of transphobes. Um, and I think you're right, Em, it really does cast me as a, a dead, headless subject to be viewed with pity and horror rather than an alive, horrible man on a podcast. 
Yeah, uh, this I think at one point in the in one of our previous episodes, I think you used the phrase like a that they view trans men as being a horde of pitiable autistic lesbians. Yes, exactly. Uh, which we'll get into later. But yeah, this whole thing, it, it, it almost reminds me of like some kind of like weird combination of like ableism and orientalism because like they're turning, they're turning a bunch of people into like visual representations of bodies alone. Like it's an entirely alienating experience for the people who are engaged in this in this spectacle, like the, 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 the transphobic viewer. And it's it's all about just turning these people into visual subjects of this of this like fucking ideological mess. Um, it's very, very, it's very, very strange to the extent to which it's like a male gaze type thing and a voyeuristic type thing. It kind of reminds me of the the more um, eugenicist aspects of of like transphobic ideologies where like yes. there's this there's this like pseudo intellectual probing of what's being of what's being done with these bodies they want to like poke in and, and a, a visual dissection of the trans cadaver yeah like we've talked about uh this section of the book male fantasies in in in, in the episode where we talked about like phallic politics the infamous penis episodes um, and Klaus Thaverlite, the author of the Male Fantasies books, has this uh, section of text from from one of these um, like post World War One bits of fascist literature, where uh, like a soldier is poking his rifle into the collapsing skull of a rotting body, and it's this act of of like penetration of the arcane, and the like penetrating the the arcane body is like very much what they kind of want to do like they're 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 engaging in this like completely wrong-footed attempt to understand what's going on in the trans body and instead what they're getting is body horror and like the it it does remind me of the of Thaverlight analyzing the fascist soldiers as like attempting to understand what went on with them in these horrifically traumatizing events and instead just engaging in like orgiastic exploration of corpses it's like it's not they're not doing the same thing as happened in those pieces of like German 1920s literature, but it is an interesting uh, similarity in terms of the intellectual model. Um, I realize that may be borderline incomprehensible. I'm not pretending that it's scientific. It was just a, it, it, it was like seeing two similar memes that were not quite the same joke in the same thread, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I mean, I think it does make sense if you link it back to the sort of like uh, cosmic Lovecraftian horror thing is like they have sort of attempted this and what it's done is it has given them that sort of revelatory madness that Lovecraft does describe in his work and they're sort of stuck staring at something completely unrelated, like, you know, a crack in the plaster in in terms of how shocking images of uh, medical procedures relate to gender. And then their brains just sort of eat themselves and then gender itself becomes like this cognito hazard. You know, it's everywhere and it, it like turns their brains into like solvent, basically. Right, which is what's um, happened. Which is what happened with Lily Cade, who and her her screed was very notable for having a, a lot of like references to this kind of like body horror type stuff, speckled in there with with, with just like wild anti semitism stuff that's similar to the kind of things that you would see in like a school shooter's manifesto. Yeah, very, very, very QAnon, very school shooter. Um, I think M actually authored some very good tweets on 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 this specifically. I did. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I I think also they were like, good tweets. They were. Well done, Em. Um, <laughs> if I was in the same room as you, I'd pat you on the head. Uh, 
I think also going back to this sort of this psychosexual aspect of it, um, it's almost like the specter of, so if we've got this like, you know, this visual dissection of, of a cadaver and the literal images, more rhetorically, it summons up the specter of Tran to be fetishized in this like romantic sense of all, you know, awful, horrible, wonderful kind of thing. Um, and I, and I, <laughs> I had this joke, I think we left it in because M said it made sense, but I'm not sure. It's like, there's, there's a Zizek quote, right? Where he talks about how Trump um, is a fetish. You know, he's the last thing liberals see before they're forced to confront the logic of class struggle. And it's kind of like the specter of Tran is 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 preventing the turfs they're stuck because they they can't confront their part in you know white supremacist and colonial like cis heteropatriarchy the class system and all of it and so it's we're the last thing turf see and that's why they get this kind of brain trouble i think that's my personal theory there is certainly a lot of like psychological hang-ups around around like the body and their inability to articulate a coherent politics around a liberated human body that I think is is really core to it, and the manner in which they they talk they 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 utilize body horror and they utilize like, uh, te- like alienation, uh, not alienation, but like alien alienated feelings towards trans people as human it's dissociation. Body. Yeah, it's that's really- the word. Like they yeah. dis- like it's it's a it's a form of like deliberately cultivated disassociation, and it's just like it comes up over and over again. The other thing that body horror does, I think it's a general dissociation, but also specifically in terms of body horror, it's almost a depersonalization feeling, but that's meant to um, arise when thinking about the trans body, which, you know, not to get too alarmist, but but kind of being encouraged to disassociate from and depersonalize and dehumanize the enemy is a large part of the psychological underpinnings of kind of fascist violence. Yeah. Another thing it reminds me about from the, from the, from the, the, the Cade thing and uh, a rather silly Twitter argument that Julie Bindle had with Laurie Penny was this concept of the persona that that the like the the tra- like the trans identity is fundamentally fake that it's that it's like something that's being painted over an essential body that there's there's a persona that's being erected and Cade's screed was talking about the concept of like trans people as a concept of trans people as a general phenomenon being being like some kind of persona mean and which was I, her excuse for um uh violent incitement yeah it's like her her reasoning specifically her reasoning and the reasoning that, that her, her advocates like came out with was that it doesn't count as lynching if you're doing lynching to a persona and this is this is all stuff that like ties in with things like the npc meme where there's there's like a like a they're like trying to discriminate between the body and the concept in a way that just does not functionally work because their ideology is like thoroughly like unviable in that in that regard like they 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 have such a hatred of trans people as human beings that they can't get away from hating the trans body no matter how much they talk about it all being in the head yeah, and this is very clear because as people love to lampoon transphobes for, they can't actually deal with any normal amount, well, all, all amount is normal, but any low to mid amount of gender nonconformity from anyone, um, especially cis people. They really, they, they are so angry at and afraid of um, the trans body that they see the specter of it literally everywhere. They freak out when, 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 when their son's like pink things, for God's sake. 
Um, I think the persona thing is also super notable because it's very obviously a paper-thin defense for violent incitement. And it's also worth pointing out that Cade used the term lynching, that's not us misusing the term, um, to put into context how, how violent the incitement truly was. And the fact that not only did, of course, very few TERFs offer any real decriment of the violent incitement, but they all latched onto Persona as the new, not even dog whistle, like just the new euphemism for trans people. Um, and I think that really links into what we also saw a great deal of at the conference, which was sort of specific um, collective identity forming. Yeah, like there, there was a, there was a sense that uh, we we've talked about like the mimetic uh, behaviors of the transphobic subculture before, whereby they they kind of arrive at these positions in in like this this non linear hive mind fashion, which is like now like quite familiar to people who've grown up online. But the LGBA is, in all fairness, uh, a relatively coherent organization, and I think that. One of the big things that came out of this conference, particularly with relation to the keynote address by Alison Bailey, was that they were forming like a coherent group within this, within this kind of like, uh, within, within like the movement. But basically the, the thrust of Alison Bailey's speech was to instill a sense in the audience that they were arriving at the, the right moment in political history to form like uh, an LGB political vanguard that would fight off Stonewall. Uh, like there, there was this kind of like sense that they were like, this was like the victorious return of, of, of the veterans to fight one last great campaign um, and, and get things back on track. Uh, you know, very very similar to certain aspects of like British nationalist rhetoric, where it's like, oh, we've got to we've got to go back to basics in this country, all this kind of crap. Um, but the reason why this is important is that tying together the collective identity of LGB Alliance in their first conference is a really important political task if they're if they're intending to carry it forward as a as like a coherent political project. And the manner in which they've done that is they've 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 used this kind of like this kind of like horrific rhetoric to create an emotional response in the audience that ties in with those with, that ties in with the audience members like sense of personal identity as a political individual and then they've tied that to lgb alliance as like an, an actually existing organization like the collective identity like this the individual identity of each audience member has then been tied into a collective identity and that collective identity has as its as its like key structural prop the physical existence of LGB Alliance as an organization, and that I think is like one of the most important psychological aspects of this of this conference as like an event, because like there's this clip where Bailey says that LGB Alliance are being discriminated against. That's like that's like when conservatives say that the conservatives are being discriminated against, like protected characteristics in the legal sense do sometimes cover certain kinds of political like organizations but you can't be racist against conservatives that's not how that works like it goes LG back to the fascist um victim complex thing yeah yeah which 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 like you know they they are using as political actors um actors in the sense of performing actions not in the sense that they are acting although <laughs> they were also doing that paging <laughs> michelle foucault <laughs> Um, but yeah, like they, they like if Bailey's saying stuff like LGB Alliance is being discriminated against, what she's doing is she's playing on the concept of discrimination in front of a, a, an audience where there's a hell of a lot of lesbian and gay people, in order to get them to tie their self worth as lesbian and gay people to her organization. 
Um, now, we kind of hedged it in the last episode as to whether or not we think that LGB Alliance is a cult. And like, we don't, we don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's way too early in its existence to really tell. And we're not going to have like the quality of information to tell. But if you were going to do it, if you were going to actually form a serious cult, then associating people's individual identity with the existence of the organization is absolutely essential. Like that is a, a, a key aspect of it. And it's it's also a key aspect of the formation of the political ideology because it's so much about these people's personal identities. Yeah, so so I'm just I'm, I'll just like just for clarity, I'll, I'll play a couple of clips of 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 Bailey talking talking about this kind of stuff. I received somewhere about September, early October, an invite from Kate Harris to attend a meeting at Conway Hall. Now, I thought this woman was happy to see the back of me, having left and walked out of her flat earlier in the year. But there it was, an invite to attend Conway Hall on the 22nd of October 2019 at 7.30. There were only 17 people that were going to be invited. We had to keep it secret, when we got there, there was security. No one leaked that meeting, but I marvel. Marvel isn't the right word. I reflect with horror that in 2019, as of now, we need to have security. We need to meet secretly to meet as lesbian and gay bisexual people. It is an outrage. Well, it's because it's an existential threat to 
lawmakers and parliamentarians, if you're listening, the message I want you to hear is that LGB Alliance are being unlawfully discriminated against. Yeah, I think in those clips it's just fairly, like, generally kind of obvious that Bailey was rhetorically linking the concept of all of these audience members being LGB um, with the, the with the existence and the, the 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 essence of the organization as a whole. Like, it's, it's very basic rhetoric, really, and that that's all there is to it. And then there's also this, you know, the, there's the feeding the victim complex, uh, marking out enemies, all of that kind of stuff tied up in there. The other thing I thought was important from the conference, and this ties into the the like the role of them like forming and expounding policy to the the attendees, is is like this sense of urgency and like imminent action that kind of like chimes in with the the child abuse like stranger danger stuff, like that was tied in with this sense of of like seizing the moment and time to grab power, time to wield influence stuff, so that. They they were they were like really pushing the the positive message angle here. I think in the time that's elapsed since the conference, since our last episode, and since now, that really shows, in my opinion, that this call for urgency was really heated because, um, for some reason, we keep accidentally breaking news. Uh, in the last episode, we spoke about how they motioned towards attacking HIV charitable provision and. Um, attacking Athena Swan and these things have come to pass enough that we are clearly not just reading tea leaves and somebody at the conference has the ear of somebody within the government etc so the fact that they were urging this um like uh not last stand but first rush is really important to pay attention to I think because yeah, like it worked clearly. yeah these people clearly see this as being like their moment to like rally the knights mm. This is like this exactly. is this is absolutely not like so I think like previously you've you've iterated an argument of of like there being a certain like high watermark for a particular kind of transphobic political activism. Yes, conditions of um action and 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 shape of action and form of action. Yeah, I like in the context of them doing this like a very successful act of like vanguard formation. Like, I I just wonder like what is your retrospective opinion on on like that analysis? Like, do you think that it still holds up that there was a high watermark? Because I I think it would depend on what you define that high watermark as being. Like, what 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 section of the movement was at its high watermark? Um, in terms of do I think that's a useful way to think about the development of emergent transphobic political power and the coalescing of that power into political action, um, I still think that holds up in terms of, again, we saw some measure of watermark was reached with this conference, and, and we spoke about this before we knew anything was going to come out of it uh, as being a real gathering, and then suddenly the time between transphobic woman whining about how she hates them transes and material differences to trans people's lives is very small and the material differences in relation to one woman whining are getting larger and larger and i guess that's how i would gauge political kind of um power and political action does that make okay, sense so it's more it's more so you think it's more like a phase shift rather than a particular section of the transphobic movement like going extinct Oh, absolutely. Okay, um, right. I, like, I think it's it's, it's, it's like it's like people yeah. like Posey Parker are clearly like slightly more sidelines in terms of their like general importance, but they're like well, they're not going anywhere. 
Well, it's like, again, to return to Echo, it's, it's like uh, fascism or, or what we talk about in terms of reactionary forces will take on the characteristics um, of the things that benefit them. I think, in fact, we actually talk about this in our very first pilot episode when we compare gender clinician to a Soviet pseudoscientist. Sorry. But yeah, um, so in terms of that uh, and the evolution, like, yes, the Baz's uh, have 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 have, have let, let lost some of their use now, the same way that all of the right wing movements in Britain have a very weakened street street presence compared to their institutional presence uh, in the sense of the fact that we live in a racist state. Um, and I think a similar thing is happening. They've had this conference that has brought them closer to the conservatives in terms of literal closeness and in terms of values, form, structure, effects. Um, do I think that the the the, the Baz um, kind of wing, the, the whatever you might call the street wing, is entirely gone? It really depends how things happen. But I think a watershed has, has happened for a, a political nexus of power centered around institutions. And that is centered around, for the moment, the LGBA organization specifically, because they're the ones who put the conference on. Yeah. For, for the clarity, for, clarity for, for the listeners, when we say the street wing, we're not talking about like, like people running down the street holding sticks. We're talking about like people who just like... They don't do get st- invited to the closed door meetings. Yeah. Like, so it'd be... So it's, you know... Posey Parker doesn't run around with knuckle dusters beating people up outside of gay bars. Like she does do public events, you know. Similar, similarly, you know, generally the people in her in her crowd. There's various different small organisations that just kind of like do stuff, and then there's just kind of like transphobes at large, like people like like Lily Cade. And I think like the thing that happened with Cade is is a good example of like the sidelining of of like undesirable elements of the movement because the institutional wing doesn't need them right now. Yeah, Cade was a Baz, a spectacularly violent Baz, and this demonstrated that there is no political home for spectacularly violent Bazes at the current time. However, or at least, or at least that, like they could be like put out to pasture for a bit. Yeah, for a bit is the most important thing. Because the, the thing is, everything, everything that Cade said is like contained in all of its technical detail in the explicit policy of most of these people. It's just that she was rude about it. It's kind of like why liberals are so horrified by Trump. Like she's functionally Lily Cade is not dissimilar to Trump. Like she sounds like a QAnon person. Yeah, but the fact is, for example, with QAnon and with Marjorie Taylor Greene being a perfect convergence, you know, comparing Lily Cade, Marjorie Taylor Greene and then Q itself, Q the people who were involved in the um, insurrection, most of them might be going to jail, yes, because they kind of jumped the shark a little bit, but they are also being defended for their, you know, white supremacist beliefs and held up by institutions up to a point. It's the rudeness that was the issue. Um, And obviously class comes into it as well. Um, And yeah, at the moment, the institutional wing of the transphobic political movement in the UK is having extreme success comparatively. However, also... The police is a convergence between the street and the halls of power because the British state is seeming to indicate that the cops are about to be given open season on inflicting police violence on trans people, which would be a convergence because the cops do blend in with reactionary bazism in the UK, whether it's trans baz. Uh, cops or general racist bad cops. Yeah, like the, the the overlap of like cop to Chelsea Headhunter, which is a, a right wing political football ultra group in the UK, it is not not overwhelming, but it's somewhat strong. 
which makes a difference because if any of those cops are on duty cops, then that's when they can enact kind of street level physical violence. Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of stuff in the in, in like UK political news about like just opportunistic random acts of violence by the police. It's not it's not it's not new. It's not a new phenomenon. And, and I think specifically our institution has generally increased tolerance for that because the, the British government is racist, does want to enact more police violence. And so it's not that the, the cops are going to be given an order to, to shoot trans people on site. It's more like an increasingly violent, violent and corrupt gang is going to, in some sense, have it rewarded, for example. Yeah, it's, it's more like it's more like there's been an increase of cop liberty, cop liberty rather than an increase yeah. of specific orders to cops. But it also relates to this other this other kind of like uh, thing that emerged from the conference. Um, and we, we mentioned this in the previous episode. Again, this relates to the policy stuff, which is that a lot of the a lot of the thinking that goes on in the in, in like turf and transphobe circles is about like societal rules and standards which they're absolutely obsessed with. It's a bourgeois movement. Yeah, and because it, it, it's not just about them defining the standards of, of, of like sex and gender, although obviously that is their like primal focus. This also like overlaps with everything. Like they want to decide to define like the standards of language and the standards of legislation. Um, they want to they want to be able to externally define what kind of science is true and what kind isn't. And this this like this like inherent bent towards like a really obsessive prescriptivism is one of the things that really defines the transphobic movement for me and it was very much very much like present in a lot of the a lot of the talks like there was the alice sullivan stuff where where like and sullivan was the person who was pushing the stuff about the athena swan charter like she talks about all this stuff about like statistics collection and their obsession with like certain kinds of statistics being legitimate but certain kinds not is like elements of it are like very much kind of like spin bullshit because they are kind of like they are lying about what like the collection of gender within official statistics means like they are bullshitting about that but there's there's it's not just spin to them like they do actually have this prescriptivist belief in statistics being capable of rendering a perfect truth i think also it's really worth pointing out specifically in terms of the kind of bourgeois character of the movement in the sense of it is a beginning i mean why does the lgb alliance have nearly 50k followers why did navarra media which is meant to be the uk's only kind of like semi-good left-wing media go on an unhinged little rant about trans people it's because the movement has become sophisticated enough that liberals actually have quite an amount to gain by enabling its growth um all of this stuff that they want is kind of goes back to yieldy class war stuff. Like um, Athena's one uh, is is to do with um, the marketization of universities, but also this, the censuses themselves are about managing people and fitting within, you know, uh, neoliberal health service. Like literally everything. Um, it, it, it's beginning to fit the bill for kind of every reactionary impulse that anyone could have. Yeah, like there's this, there's this wonderful, there's this wonderful bit. Uh, one, so I have this like. I had soft, a quote I was going to use, but oh, sorry, I'll try and find out why you talk. I have this soft spot for this like old documentary series that was presented by this like mathematician turned, I think, biologist called Jacob Pronofsky, and it's it's in many ways it's like it it's uh, out of date both in terms of its philosophy and its scientific content. But this documentary series, the, the Ascent of Man, has this really heart-moving bit 
where Rodolsky is expounding his association uh, of science with the concept of humanism to to the viewer. And for for, and for context, Pronovsky was like a Jewish emigre to Britain, and he knew people who you know went to Auschwitz. And he in this documentary he he filmed like he's filmed in Auschwitz in the section of Auschwitz where the the ashes from the incineration chambers were flushed into like a giant outdoor pool essentially, and he talks about like how like this is the place where men were turned into numbers yeah. and about how there's a responsibility of scientists to not pursue an absolute truth not pursue like a certainty but rather to pursue knowledge and he defines it as being like an opposition between a pursuit for knowledge or a pursuit for certainty and fascism isn't the only th- political movement or ideology that pursues certainty Theocracy pursues certainty. Certain aspects of liberalism pursue certainty. Like certainty is comforting for human beings, and it's, it's a popular goal at the core for, as, as part of like the core philosophy for many different political movements. Like a lot of a lot of communists want to pursue certainty rather than knowledge. They want you know to, what I, I, they want I think to define is. rather than explore. And like I think this it, I, is yeah, it's just really it's really big for these people. They want to define from outside other human beings' lives. It all comes down to imperialism. It truly does. All of the all of these tendencies coming from non-fascist elements are still imperialist elements. And imperialism, this is exactly what it's obsessed with. Um, imperialism is also, you know, kind of why we have modern gender, basically. Um, and I, it really, I think, explains all of this if if you kind of big galaxy brain it and link it to imperialism. Um, I have another quote from, again, sorry, uh, Christopher Chitty's Sexual Hegemony, which I think is really relevant, thinking about it in those terms. Um, and he's talking about homosexual activity uh, specifically because it links to um, migrant labor and urbanization. Um, he says, uh, sorry, the introduction of his book says, it's a book about the role of the policing of homosexual activity in the era of the rise of capitalism. Or, to be more precise, the role played by the classes that would become the modern bourgeoisie in strategically weaponizing sodomy in a struggle against both the aristocracy it hoped to displace and the peasant proletarian and lumpen classes whose capacity for labor it needed to manage. And I think it kind of comes back to this in the sense of using degeneracy or um, racism or, or kind of any dehumanizing tactic to further gain control and manage everyone especially the ones who you're going after at the time does that make sense i think i think it does um one thing that the one thing that the concept of prescriptivism being core to this movement reminded me of is, is like there's these very very amusing moments of of hypocrisy when prescriptivism and 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 their obsession with like sex versus gender implodes in front of these people's eyes and this 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 not only happened at the conference but it also happened in that that bindle thing that i mentioned earlier that twitter argument she had with penny with Laurie Penny, um, and like Bindle says, "Fuck off, Laurie! Once and for all, take your fake persona and stop appropriating and colonizing my identity." Um, and then there's this other moment where Kate Grimes, the speaker at the conference who spoke about like NHS stuff, says, "I don't identify as a lesbian. I am one." And it's like these people are attempting to reject the concept of of, of identification with gen of identification and gender 
and in the same breath they're saying like i identify as i don't identify as a lesbian i am one it's just like it's it, it's like an oroboros of idiocy and it does stem from this this like fetishization of the ability to prescribe reality from the outside it's it's almost like they've they've become like dipshit adherents to Duché, and they think that like man truly is the master of all things yeah, it's 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 kind of like if if the broad political project meshes perfectly within like you know imperialism or the ruling classes or whatever you want to call it, like this is the actual like on the ground rhetorical like fuckery that you get into if you sign up with that project. Like a lot of the people who are doing transphobic things at the moment are not like this. This is the radicalized people, and it leads you exactly to just having your world system fail you, and and because your brain has dribbled out of your ears because of the Lovecraftian horror of being a fucking transphobe yeah it, like, it's it, it's it's very very clear that these people can't like um cope with the concept of of like stuff getting out from under their control like that's the reason why they feel so weird about kids like there's a lot of that like the, the like this the, the way that they react to people like opposing them politically is very like patronizing because patronizing is like patronization is like a very easy thing for people to do when they're emotionally challenged it's it's why people go into like post when your adult brain goes offline yeah it's like when people go into posting spirals after they get into flame wars on twitter which is again a fundamental thing that has formed these people's uh, political psychology is 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 being replied to online um, it's very it's 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 kind of like the pictures and like all of the sort of faux feminist dressings of the transphobic political movement it is at some in some places very much a weaponization of genuine trauma often of women who used to be feminists um and so they're just ex being exposed to having their worldview attacked over and over and over again and as shown with um other cults like that that often just hardens your resolve and makes you more hurt and broken and, and you go to the group that will uh, love bomb you to make you feel better mm, yeah and, and, and at the same time it, it makes it easier to 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 like if you if you can like be in a group that will, that will mock and belittle the opposition that makes you feel better and there was there was a lot going on with with this here because if, you, if you're mocking and belittling the opposition then like the thing that comes after that very very easily is um like more abstract forms of dehumanization like more, more like complex forms of it to just uh, yeah to justify the conflict yeah uh, and these things you know it's not it's not like one after the other like it's not one thing hitting into another in some kind of like chain of of newtonian events like it is it is all bound together as a system these things develop hand in hand because we, like, we technically have free will yeah oh hmm. well i actually disagree <laughs> no what that's what i mean is that like uh, even people who say that we don't have free will agree that the interactions that make up our what we think of as our personality is very complex systems oh yes that that i would agree with but well <laughs> interestingly i was just about to talk about a man who apparently doesn't believe that in certain situations great segue <laughs> yeah i was going to be do it a bit more subtly but basically what i what i'm getting at is there's particular ways in which in which uh uh like members of lgba and transphobes at large dehumanize people that aren't necessarily to do with the, their physical bodies it's also to do with like uh, them as psychological individuals this is this also ties into the persona stuff and all that stuff we talked about the the npc meme so one of the guests at the conference this guy called uh, dr az hakim um and he has been in, he was involved in gic stuff for a while i don't think he is anymore um i don't quite recall the specifics of his career arc but basically he uh used to do a lot of stuff like talking therapy 
um, which will ring alarm bells for many listening. Um, and he he expounded some interesting um, theories, which I can only sum up as non-binary goth genocide theory. And I'm just going to roll a clip because it's interesting. And I'm also going to throw in a clip from the bit that where Jane Claire Jones was talking, because like she mainly talks about stuff to do with the notional erasure of, of of sex versus versus gender, but she also goes off on this really weird detour um, that essentially mirrors some of the stuff that Doctor Hakeem was saying. And like all of these clips are a bit like casual and they're like joking around, but it's clear that they actually believe this stuff. And not only do they like believe it, but it's it's like they're they're sort of like thinking about it in this like slightly patronizing tone that it's part of this worldview where all of these like youthful transgender people are just like these foolish naive adolescents to them and it's like there's there's subtle elements of ableism in there as well because or, or not so subtle because of Hakeem's comments about autistic people being being these kind of like binarist black and white unimaginative type type figures and all of this just seems to paint this interesting picture. With, with my adults, they, the population that we'll call true transsexuals in the past, those are the ones that are fixed, sort of very binary, much white thinking. You know, when I, when I did a sort of survey of all my patients over 12 years, 100% of them would have been somewhat on the autistic spectrum. And, you know, if you think of autism, it's very black and white. It's very sort of, uh, you know, yes, no, black and white, male, female, white, white. And if you ask them what it is about being a man or woman, it's conversations. They couldn't possibly think of being subversive or um, thinking outside the box. So for them, it was, a, it was a lack of being able to be subversive. And what I used to try and help my patients do is become more subversive. You know, you can, you know, I was like, doesn't exist. It's 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 like gender like religion. It's a it's a, it's a man-made social construct that you can you can invest in as much religion as you want. You don't need it to solve your problem. Um, but don't change your body because I think that no one's bodies are wrong. Your 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 relationship to it is the problem. Um, and then so. We,
Golf Mark one was postponed, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Golf Mark two was slightly softened, it was like a cure. Golf Mark three was sort of like floating theory and stuff and shoegazing. Golf Mark four would be an emo. Golf Mark five. So yeah, the audio on that particular clip is a little bit like fuzzy, but basically what he's saying at, at the point where it gets the fuzziest is that, that we don't really get subcultures these days, but what we do get is rapid onset gender dysphoria. I, I don't know what rock this man's living under. Anyway, uh, on to Jane Claire Jones, who also has some exciting thoughts, <sighs> I guess. I, I, I worry about these kids. I worry about these kids. I worry about them when they realise that they seem to think that Sex has got nothing to do with bodies, or I was, sometimes I have. I mean, the whole genital fetish thing is so bizarre. Fetishism is taking your libido and putting it into a non-sexual thing, directing your libido at other people's genitals. By definition, not fetishism. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to include clips of this, but like earlier in um, Hakeem's talk and kind of like throughout it, um, he basically seems to view his early career in in like gender related healthcare stuff as being like a creative act. Like he talks about how he wanted to go into the arts before becoming like a doctor. And then there was this big and then about how he like was trying to make a decision between being a surgeon or being a psychiatrist because he thought that surgery was a great act of sculpture on the human body. And his general vibe to do with trans people is that he... Okay, so, like, Hakim's deal seems to be that he he kind of thinks that, like, there's something essentially off-putting about trans people and that that basically is that, like, they're fundamentally... Like, they're, the human spirits are fundamentally artless. Like, they don't have any, like, creative capacity. That this is, that this is like similar to his conception of autistic people as being like fundamentally uncreative in terms of how they view gender and it's just like this man's a vain idiot like it's very very stupid he's clearly like an incompetent and was very likely an abusive doctor and it just lifts a lid on uh just a whole a whole raft of like very like basic bitch prejudices towards like autistic people and people with like developmental conditions and trans people and and the way that they conceptualize the inner lives of anybody who falls into any combination of those categories yeah it's like the real danger of the turf movement be, being or transphobic political movement being it is it is often made up of just boomer fucking idiots the danger is that because they have gained institutional purchase People who are boomer idiots can also do harm because of their positions of power, such as this guy. Like, he's got your classic prejudices 
at horrific levels. And I think the fact he feels emboldened at this point to be this ableist as a medical professional, you know, in 4K or whatever, shows how far the movement think they've come. But it's it's they're all just awful, awful, nasty people, you know, about kind of everyone. Yeah. And, and, and stupid and, and stupid with it. And and like these these tropes about about like about like the kids being being sexless and not having like a sophisticated culture, it's like it's like boomerish. Like they're completely detached from reality when it comes to when it comes to like knowing anything about youth culture or what's going on in, in like the personal lives and minds of the people who they who who, who they've come into contact with. Like I don't I, I cannot imagine that it ever occurred to Dr. Hakeem that perhaps his patients were were presenting him with like stereotype conceptions of gender because he had reinforced in them that that was what, what he wanted to hear. Like, yeah, it's just they're all being yes men for their absolute garbage, garbage. Yeah, it, it almost it almost reminds me of another like reactionary liberal movement, which was like the the right wing side of the Remainers. Which absolutely is, i mean a lot of them are the same people yeah it's just navel gazing vanity and like you know we're not exactly like hardcore brexiteers on this podcast but anyone who's paying attention we're, we're, i hope we're as mean as they are <laughs> well yeah i think we give as good as we get given our comparative size um but like anyone who was like paying attention to like the remainder movement will, would see that like quite a lot of it was fundamentally like quite delusional and like navel gazing and a lot of that is going on here as well. Like these people think that they're like God's gift. They have they have like this like perfect, perfect analysis. That I think this brings everything. it. I think this brings it back again to like the kind of bourgeois managerial kind of thing, but also the the real liberal consensus on this stuff uh, and the fact that like the Romaniac movement went through peaks and troughs, you know, it had bits where it had such high buy-in that everyone who had a relative of, of literal boomer age would have positive opinions on them. And then they became more cult-like and the die-off of you know, your normal common or garden boomer went down and they became more and more delusional. And at the moment, uh, Remain is sort of gone, you know, because we've, we've finally done Brexit and all that stuff. And I don't think it's a coincidence like, you know, people talk about how you leave one cult and you're super likely to fall straight into another one. I wouldn't be surprised if some of if that there's been some of that convergence with the with the transphobe movement. No, I, I wouldn't be either. Especially because obviously Rowling was a uh, a straddling figure for both of those two. Mm -hmm. as, as were a lot of the kind of like Guardian type people and, and like the the the. the the people yeah. of letters if you see what i mean yeah i think that's i think that's why i bring it back to the managerial stuff is like it's they all have this brain tendency where they think that they are clever and they deserve to dictate what others do and i mean yeah. this even this even shows up in the red brown convergence going back to michael walker um uh damsel in distress basically spoke about this about how his response was characterized by the entire ignorance on trans issues, which obviously is shameful enough if you're a member of the LGBT community, coupled with the fact that he characterized trans people as a homogenous mass to dictate to them what he thought they deserved. It's the same fucking brain poison they all have. Yeah, going back to going back to the aspects of this that tie into like patronization and like uh, the, the, the notional generation wars type bullshit, I think it's, it should be viewed as like quite significant that and linking it back into the, the stuff that about like Bailey being weird and other conference attendees being weird about like 
breasts and top surgery and, and like sexual characteristics of underage people. I think it's quite notable that like Jane Claire Jones, who is one of the most unhinged people in the entire movement, like went on this like self-congratulatory chortle about how like the kids are inherently sexless and and are, are like sexually naive and all and incompetent and all this stuff. Like these people do think that they invented the correct way to do to do human sexuality. And it, it, like it, it's almost it's 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 like the the patronization, the foolish youth, these like weird ivory tower moments tie in with all of this stuff about LGB alliance forming its 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 organizational ideology around people identifying with being a gay gay or a lesbian. And they they just have this bizarre, bizarre view of the people who they're politically opposed to as having like no internal life. Like there's this this is kind of like more abstract and non-bodily dehumanization that ties into all of this kind of stuff, which is just so like palpably ridiculous. Particularly the stuff about 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 like non-binary people wiping out goths is just like cartoonish. Like it's I know he's kind of joking when he says it, but I think he also does believe that. Like he does believe that. <laughs> I guess these guys have just never been on Tumblr or Discord, which would make sense. I, I really think and the reason that I <clears throat> keep quoting uh Chichi's sexual hegemony is is because I think it really applies here and that these people think that they can dictate and arbitrate the sexual hegemony and also that they stand to benefit it by it, which is the entire point of, of Chichi's thesis. Mm. Um, and, and, and he links it again specifically to property and status uh, and also specifically talks about how um, the kind of uh, politicization, criminalization, um, and persecution of, of queerness or sodomy or whatever it's called historically is traceable to local and generalized kind of social, political and economic crises and, and phase changes. And we are definitely in crises and phase changes in this current moment. Mm, yeah, definitely, definitely. One last thing I want to add about like uh, Jane Claire Jones before we move on um, is that throughout her throughout her speech, she like advances this uh, like bizarre ideological position. And I think essentially Jane Claire Jones considers herself to be some kind of like anti-revisionist philosopher historian, like fighting back against some kind of like Orwellian linguistic hostile takeover. She definitely thinks that it's being like orchestrated by like coherent cabals of activists. Um, and it, like when all the, I can't like, we can't like include every single like, bizarre sound clip about this stuff. But she genuinely sees this as being, sees this stuff as being like a combination of like vacuous idiot teens and also some kind of like nefarious trans vanguard cabal. And like when the main like videos come out from LGB Alliance Conference, I do really recommend watching watching like some of the some of the bits where it gets a bit more lurid because it will it will explain like the emotional place where these people are coming from if you're not already familiar with that this is largely a notice for like our our, our like our cis listeners because like trans people are already familiar familiar with this stuff it's it's bigoted rhetoric it's got roots in anti-semitism it's just fundamentally a bit fucked up and you know it won't be new to you but yeah uh anyway moving on altogether like there's the, the conference is like a very weird array of of like trends and uh, like memes and 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 like 
in-group behaviors and stuff and like that that they just do it does seem to tie together into being like a, a vaguely coherent grouping of like political rhetoric and political motivations that are tied into these weird like psychological hang-ups the the last big one that i want to talk about is like lesbian great replacements um al sullivan uh pushed this several other uh, audience members uh, sorry several other like panel members pushed this there's this concept that keeps coming up in LGB alliance and, and, and like transphobic rhetoric that the great replacement is being done specifically to, to lesbians. Um, the great replacement for those who are unaware is a far right slash neo-Nazi political trope that states that uh, like a conspiratorial movement of Jews is moving to have the white race diluted via blood mixing and migration. And that this is happening specifically in like a European context via migrations from the global south, diluting particularly Western European populations and changing the political culture. The turf version of this is, is like completely different in the particulars, but it's structurally identical. It's essentially that um, the transgender activist movements who are all like, well, who are not all, but who have like significant elite power in some manner that they imagine, are like changing the political conception of gender and sex, which is actually technically true, but they're, they're changing it in like a nefarious way that's deliberately oriented towards removing the collection of statistics and data around lesbianism in order to gain more political power over lesbians as a distinct group and uh, make them more sexually available to people who they consider to be men whilst also erasing them completely from statistics. Um, so essentially, uh, lesbians would be replaced entirely by like predatory bands of transgender people who they view as being male only. And that this would also coincide with complete political wipeout and lesbians would somehow be bred out of existence de facto. It's not surprising that Margaret Atwood has come out hashtag team turf because this really smacks of Bridesmaid's Tale in which Atwood reimagines voyeuristically horrors visited upon racialized bodies in America as magically for fantasy reasons happening to white women. Yeah, like the, the reality is that is that the genuine uh, type of statistical erasure that happens within you know, the modern political context is of transgender people and sexual assault victims. Like that's that's what they would actually be able to realistically focus on if they were thinking about manners in which there's like a reactionary tendency in society to erase people on grounds that are connected to sex and sexuality. But they don't focus on that because they don't care about it because they don't um, they don't like sympathize with those people. They hate them because they're prejudicial. And like this, this is like this, like it's such a coherent piece of political rhetoric that they keep repeating this time and time again. Like they talk about. They talk about like the collection of, of statistics. They talk about like sex and gender and data policies because they can transform this like politically motivating rhetoric into policy. And it's politically like it, as, as rhetoric, it connects into a lot of the things we've discussed, like the pedo Geddon stuff, um, the, 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 the group identity of the organization, uh, the stranger danger, the, 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 the transgender invader of spaces, all of this kind of things. 
and it just it it seems to like inform a lot of their a lot of their policy. And I thought it would be worth expounding exactly how this thing is connected to the normal concept of great replacement theory. Yeah, because there are so many similarities, but of course there are also differences, and it's important to see where it conforms and where it diverges because I think that gives clues into how well assimilated the transphobic political movement at this time in this place at the LGBA's inaugural conference uh are within each other yeah yeah definitely um another thing I think I think cropped up in terms of like explicit political rhetoric is is we talked about a lot there their like opposition to, to Stonewall and it, it's built out of this sense like this cultivated sense of abandonment which is connected to this this like great replacement myth they've they've conjured for themselves like the, the yeah the mechanizing of trauma yeah and and, and the mechanizing of, of 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 trauma and, and they struggle that, and yeah that, know, yeah, that, that, that i think kind of like got sublimated into a sensation of vindication in the act of forming the LGB alliance. So like that's one of the reasons why I was like harping on about like Bailey as as, as like engaging yeah. in this in this rhetorical act of organizational uh genesis. Yeah, I honestly think when I talk about the the weaponization of trauma, I literally think the weaponization of trauma is, is just a stand-in for kind of any feminist buy-in left. Like that is the only reason that you could non-cynically claim yourself to be a feminist, a woman who cares about women and be part of the transphobic political movement is if you have gotten your brain all fucked up and and to keep people like that on side they do keep pumping this stuff out but that's only a part of everything like a lot of it is this just general reactionary movement stuff uh um group cohesion forming a vanguard kind of morale boosting vigor inducing blood blood curdling rhetoric which was being engaged in very heavily during the conference yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I I think like it's all of this stuff about like the the blood curdling rhetoric, the the tendency to like mock and belittle protesters and and youths, all of the stuff about like uh, you know the, the sacred child, the weak foe. Um, that's like that's like the the the, the agitation aspect of like their equivalent of agitate, educate, organize. It's action programming. Yeah, essentially, it is action programming. It's so like what they what they were in doing in the early stages. Yeah, yeah, what they were doing in in the conference is like they were, they were providing people with lots of like information about a policy to give them context. They were giving them like emotional hooks, like you know, like the pedo rating stuff or or, or, or similar, or like conjuring up uh, you know, phantoms to to fight. And then and then they were directing that combination of like information processing and emotional load at specific targets you know like you know like the nhs or stonewall and that's that's how they're like cohering their political organization into being this like combination of emotion and policy output for all of these like reactionary boomers and again with the with the kind of romaniac sort of general liberal crossover this kind of uh structure actually also has a lot in common with the sort of never trump liberal stuff where it would be uh very similarly like um uh look at this terrible thing that trump is doing it's so awful um emotive and then saying like oh do you want to help here are loads of things you can do like that kind of um structure is common across the political spectrum it's just they're fueling it with hate speech 
Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely correct. Like the, the thing, the thing that really stuck out to me from the conference audio was there is this, there is one bit right at the end where like a a like a guy stands up and like asks a question, and I think it just it just like sums up their entire their entire like attitude towards towards like reactionary politics in general, and that's that they they welcome it. Uh, I'll play that in a bit. There's one last thing that I wanted to mention about their like tendency to 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 like info dump and then rile up and name a target and i think we've missed it out on the previous episode and that's that like one of the policy areas in which they're like trying to impact like nhs and healthcare stuff is like they're producing like in 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 some kind of degree of concert with like with the the infamous dr bell um some kind of like manifesto for how to re how, how to reform like uh nhs policy around sex and gender and like that was that was like quite early on. That was like they they talked about that offhand after one of the first panels. Like this stuff was just happening on repeat over and over again during the entire event, and it just I think it really speaks volumes as to how the event was was orchestrated as a as a as a psychological event for attendees. Yeah, although I say that this kind of structure can be common in any um, political uh, action. It's really important to note that uh, this one was happening constantly to constantly roll people up to this emotional crescendo and was being done with hateful rhetoric, hate speech, hateful images, and really to a cult level, you know, although I make a political comparison, this is where it becomes much more psychologically dense and harmful and culty is because this was happening constantly. And the call and response audio earlier in the episode kind of shows that it's almost reaches this evangelical fervor. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it really shows a huge amount of, I guess, social cohesion and movement building that the conference is trying to create. Yeah, like it's it's all toned down in comparison to if you were to look at like footage of an American evangelical thing, but mm. all the same beats are there. It's just a lot. The elements, the vibes. Yeah, it's, 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 there's, there's too many similarities. And I think, like, I think we'll leave it there for this episode and let people kind of like, stew on this stuff and mull it over in their own minds but i think in terms of the way these people were thinking this is going to be like quite formative for like how they behave going forward like it it's not just worrying because of the policy like it's worrying because of the political psychology and the shifts that are happening in that anyway um I think we'll be back in a few weeks time with an episode about um I think most likely our next episode is going to be like one where we have a guest on to compare like American and British healthcare cultures and how uh, transgender healthcare factors into that. Um, for now, uh, goodbye. And we'll, we'll, you'll hear us moderately soon. As always, the timetable is messy as hell. Oh, and there's a couple more audio clips just to finish off the episode. Uh, bye, everybody. Bye. Time for political purity is past. The threat to our humanity from transgenderism transcends the divisions of left and right, and the divide is between those who acknowledge reality and those who promote a dangerous life. So wherever we stand, politically or socially, it must be side by side. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to ask a question. I'm a gay man.
the Conservative Party is too left wing for me. I supported Brexit, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm to the right of the Tories, and I'm not ashamed of it. I have gone on forums where I have battled other gay men who have been abusing feminist women because of their concerns about trans people. I'm not a radical feminist. I'm not a natural left-wing Labour person, although I was born gender. And I'm here to help, and I'm here to convey, and I'm here to stand in solidarity. But I have sat through this whole conference, and I've much appreciated what's been said on the forums. I'm a little bit worried about what I've heard from the audience, so the question is a very simple one. I'm